tell you, trying to walk through those kids right there is like Marshawn Lynch trying to score a touchdown. All right. Can you hear me okay? I'm on. Here we go. Good morning. Keep going. She's giving me that look like, whatever. I am so thankful. Oh, turn left. Turn left. That way. There we go. You know what? Aren't you so thankful for our children? Aren't they awesome? So thankful for our nursery workers, our children's workers, GAP, GPS, anybody who spends time raising up our children. Thank you. Uh, the lessons they are learning is pretty awesome. Kathy, I don't know if you knew this. Um, where did she go? Oh, there you are. Um, Seattle Seahawks two years ago. I think it was two years ago. In the playoffs, Marshawn Lynch, their running back, broke through, I'm going to say, seven tacklers, ended up scoring a touchdown. The stadium cheered so loud that it registered on the Richter scale. They thought an actual earthquake had taken place during that game, but it was because of the cheering in the stadium. It set off the Richter scale. Isn't that amazing? The voices of people raised so loud for a sport. How about if we did that for God? Could you imagine being in a stadium full of people cheering that loud, praising God? Someday I believe we're going to see that. Uh, that place will be called heaven. And uh, all of earth will shake. Well, yes, I, I'm coming down with a slight cold. I hope it's slight. So voice change, okay? Um, if I start coughing, I'm sorry. But I'm going to do this. I'm going to require some recruitment this morning. I need people ready to read scripture for me. The less I talk, the better. I was hoping I wouldn't hear an amen. Okay. <laughs> so, you were all thinking it. Okay, so if you could have your Bibles ready, and uh, as we open up our Bibles and turn to scripture, and I might say, somebody want to read this for me, and I'll just have you stand where you're at. I've got a microphone up here. And if you don't want to use the mic, that's fine. And hopefully you picked up one of those worship pages on the back table as our handouts. We're going through, I believe, going through our core values of our church. We are on core value number four, the final. And uh, as I said before, please understand this. We are only scratching the surface on each of these subjects. Today we're talking about worship. I'm telling you, I cannot take one Sunday morning to talk about worship. There's no way. And so I'm just going to briefly scratch the surface of worship today. If you need a Bible, if you need a, a, a handout, why don't you raise your hand so we know which one to get you. Need a handout? You getting that for me, Joe? Thank you so much. Just grab a couple handouts and come over this way and we'll raise our hands back up. While you're doing that, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about a person that's really close to you. Somebody you love. Now, it can be a relative, a family member. It can be your spouse, girlfriend, fiance, whoever it may be. Think of somebody really close to you. I mean, so close, okay? Your BFF. It's not Buffalo Wild Wings, is it? It's Buffalo Friendly Friends or something like that. Best friend forever. Some of you still doing that, still writing that? Okay. Everybody got in the picture now who that is? Everybody there? Okay, now at the bottom of that handout, did we get one? Still need one? Joel right here then for Jim. So we'll get you one. Thank you. This is what I want you to do now. I want, there's some key elements in having a great relationship with that person. So everybody's got that person in mind. Six key elements at the bottom of your handout, sort of a reminder what I'm going to sort of flash through right now. It'll help you remember all this, okay? 
Here's six questions I want you to ask yourself about this significant other person, whoever it is. Best friend, family member, spouse, whoever it may be, okay. Here we go. First one, do you remember the first day you met? Remember the first day you met them? I'm not, for illustration, throughout this whole thing, I'll use my wife, Jenny, okay? I remember the first day we met, Archbold Volleyball Sand Courts. I just lost uh, a wager with the junior high kids at our church uh, to get so many kids to vacation Bible school, and so I had to shave Rex in the back of my head. Some big black letters at R-E-X written back there in the back of my head. We're out there playing volleyball, and I heard this girl say, Rex. I took around and looked at this girl, and I'm thinking, how does she know me? It's like, oh, yeah. Okay, I got my big fat head with Rex on the back of it. So right away, um, that was our first initial contact. Fourth of July is our first date. Uh, and then um, you know, two years later, uh, we got married, June 27th, 1992. Never forget that day. Uh, her dad was uh, sick right before the wedding. Uh, I'll never forget standing in front of the two pastors that did our wedding. How one of them started going through the whole, do you take Jenny to be your lawful wedded wife to have him to hold this way so far? He did the whole repeat after me part, but he didn't stop. He did the repeat after me. I, Rex, take you, Jenny, to be my lover, that's forth, and so on. And he never stopped. And I was like, I didn't know what to say. I couldn't remember everything that he just said. How am I going to repeat all of that? So I, I just stopped, and I looked at Jenny, and I, uh, and the other pastor said, hey, let's all take a deep breath and try that again. And the pastor said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll break it up. I, Rex, take you, Jenny. Now, this is me holding Jenny's hands. This is me looking at the pastor. I, Rex, take you, Jenny. Because now I was so nervous, I never looked her in the eyes when we did our vows. So a few years ago, we were on a marriage retreat, retreat and we actually uh, renewed our vows at that time. That was the first time I looked at my wife giving the vows. So um, I'll never forget that moment. Um, I'll never forget our honeymoon. And some of you are like, oh, no, just relax. Um, when we showed up at our hotel that night, we got to the front desk and... The, uh, this happened. Anybody who ever did a youth trip with me in the youth group would understand this whole story. I got up to the front desk and I said, I'm sorry, but all the rooms are booked. I don't know what happened to your reservation. We must have lost it. I'm going, this is my honeymoon. I don't have a room. I don't have a hotel. And they go, wait a second, wait a second. We have a conference room. We can put two cots in it for you. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. This is my honeymoon. I don't need two cots and a conference room and a bunch of other people, okay? Um, fortunately, they found another hotel down the road, and they took care of everything. I'll never forget our honeymoon uh, for that reason. I'll never forget uh, the first time um, when she looked at me and said, we're going to have a child. I'll never forget those moments. Do you remember the first time you met? Do you remember all those special moments together? Do you remember those special moments together with other people? Family reunions, get-togethers. Maybe you and your friend or you and your spouse, whoever this other person is it's you're using for your illustration, the first time you guys went out and hung out with a bunch of people and you had an incredible time. Maybe you went to a worship uh, conference together. Maybe you went to some kind of special event together. Remember that moment? Question number two. Do you put that other person first? Men, let me speak to you. Do you put your bride first? Do you hold the door for her? Do you... Um, when you think about vacation, or let's go smaller, you can go on vacation if you want. Who chooses that? Do you decide together? Honey, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want for supper? Hey, what movie would you like to watch? I know you really want to watch Rambo 10, but um, if there's a chick flick you want to watch, you know, what, what is that? You know? do, you guys, do you do that, guys? I'm not going to say I'm perfect on that one, but how about this? One piece of cheesecake left on the plate. You go to the fridge and you're looking in there, you're like, oh, 
Ooh, I know she likes it. It's her favorite. Jenny, would you like any of the cheesecake that's left? Say no, say no, say no. Yes, okay, all right, that's hers. Or no, we can split. Do you do that or you just like pull it out and you leave like one bite left and put it back in for her? You know? Do you put that other person first? Look at number three. Do you build into your relationship? Do you encourage? Do you share? Do you spend time together? Do you go for walks together? Do you go on retreats together? Do you actually spend time together with just the two of you? Number four, do you intentionally make daily contact with that person? Text, call, face-to-face contact. Uh, if you're closer in your relationship, do you give them a hug? Do you give them a kiss? Do you eat together? Do you verbally share something? Uh, nobody leaves our house without a hug and a kiss in our family, okay? So you're coming over like, whoa. <laughs> well, we thought about coming over for lunch today, Rex, but no, not now. In our family, my wife and our kids, uh, that's the way it is. That's the rule. You just, you just don't do that. You don't leave without that. Daily contact, necessary. Number five, do you give them your best? Do you make time for them or do you give them leftover time? What do you do? It's a special occasion, gentlemen. Let's, let's do a test here. You, uh, you see carnations for $3. You see a rose for 12 You have $12 in your pocket. Gentlemen, what do you do? So you go, uh, let's see. I could buy four carnations. Buy three. Could buy one. Or you can buy one rose. Don't forget the baby breath. Okay? I learned that term last week. Okay. I had no clue what that green stuff that went with the rose. I just thought that was just, you know, aside on the dish, you know. What do you do? Do you spend everything for her? Think about it, guys. Do you give her your best? Here's the last one. Do I verbally and physically express my feelings? Make sure you tell them you love them and show them your love. Don't just say, well, they know I love them. Many of you grew up in a generation where your parents were that way. The verbal I love you's never took place. Why? Because they know I love you and I know you love me. So why do I need to say it? Say it. Don't just show them your love. Also express your love verbally. Okay? Now, those six questions help identify, I'm going to say, your relationship depth. Okay? When you look at those six questions and you sort of say, how's my relationship with this person, whether it's my friend, my spouse, whoever it may be, a family member, how deep is your relationship? Is it shallow? Is it deep? These six questions will maybe give you some gauge on that. But when you see, when you commit to a, a, a relationship with somebody, you surrender a lot of things. Here's the first thing you surrender is yourself. Your self-centeredness, your self, uh, selfishness, uh, that self-centered behavior. You surrender uh, the need to always be right. You surrender a lot of things, including the remote control, right? You surrender. That's what happens in a relationship. Here's the deal. When you commit to a relationship with the God of this universe, go through those six same questions, okay? You commit a loving relationship with God, you're going to surrender to his plan for your life. Suddenly the act of surrendering losses, uh, I'm sorry, loses any and all negative connotations because it's, it's freeing. Instead of becoming uh, something negative, it becomes a, a joyous and empowering and, and not enslaving whatsoever. That's what happens when you have that relationship with God. Now take a look at those six questions again and ask yourself, do you remember the first time you heard about God's love? Remember the first time you got on your knees, surrendered to Jesus Christ? Remember that? 
Remember the moment when you realized you didn't have it all together and you needed somebody's help? Maybe you cried. Maybe you screamed with excitement. Maybe it was nothing was special about it. You just realized, like, wow, I was going in the wrong direction. And you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You remember the time when maybe you recommitted your life to Christ? I remember seven years old praying at the bed with my mom. I remember eighth grade. I remember not knowing what it meant to love God and recommitting my life to Christ at that time. I remember my freshman year in college when I felt like Jonah running away. And I called back, recommitted my life to my freshman year in college saying, this is the direction I'm going now. And countless markers and moments in my life when there was something special that took place in my relationship with God. Do you remember those moments? I hope you do. Never forget those moments. Do you put God first? How's that working? Is God first above all these other things? Do you build into that relationship? Do, do you spend time in prayer and reading? Do you go for walks with God? You're saying, what are you talking about? Somebody just go for a walk and just pray. He's walking with you. Do you do that? How about number four there? Do you intentionally make daily contact with God? Do you purposely, intentionally say, I will pray, or I will read, I will study, I will do this at this certain time? How are you doing with that? Number five, do you give him your best? Do you make time for God or do you give him leftover time? Well, I'll put that off to later. I'll put that off to later. Or is it, no, this comes first. What's that like? Do you verbally and physically express your feelings towards God? In worship, whether raising hands, clapping, bowing, getting on your knees, crying, or just sitting there in prayer saying, God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Those six questions that determine, you know, the depth of your relationship with another person, apply those to your relationship with God. Find out where that is because here's, here's what I want you to know. Just as you would physically, emotionally, and intellectually connect with other people, we do the same with God. We are in a, a position where we say, you know what, I truly acknowledge, because I, I intellectually I can think this through and understand things in Scripture and read and learn what kind of God He is. And then physically I can see it, things happening around me, in me, and emotionally to where spiritually I'm surrendering. And I say, there is a God, no doubt about it. And when I express everything back to Him, I'm worshiping Him. Worship is this. Worship is acknowledging who God is, and giving him the value he deserves. The greater God is, the more you understand about God. I mean, you can't make God greater. He already is great. But the more you draw near to him, the more you're going to express to him. That is worship. Some people worship differently than other people that worship. And that is fine. I don't think uh, God ever said, There's, here's the level you need to be at with worshiping. And you're right here. You better pick it up. Or, hey, you're worshiping way too much. Bring it down. I believe God brings us along in stages of life where we begin to worship Him more and more as we grow closer to Him. Just think about how much that other person is in your life that you really feel drawn to and you love them. So for some of you, they are so close. You do anything for them. You can't imagine life without them. That's an intense worship, right? Same way with God. How close are you with God? How tight with you are God that you can have that same thing? Go ahead and look at your hand out here. And let's go ahead and try to work through this. We've got 
basically six points that mark them here. Let's go ahead and mark, mark through them right now, okay? Here we go. Worship is, and there's a blank, and then there's a second, worship is. First one, worship is personal. Worship is personal. Psalm 138, 1 through 3. Why don't you turn there in, in your Bible, in the middle of the Bible, book of Psalm. Psalm 138. And I have somebody ready to read that. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, and somebody could be ready to read that for me. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> Psalm 138, verses 1 to 3. Anybody want to read for me? Thanks. You want to do Hebrews 10 for me then? Go ahead, Jeremy. I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Awesome. Can you go back to the very beginning and start reading? And the very first two words, can you just say that really with emphasis? I give you thanks. Right there. First two words. I give. Awesome. I give. Okay, now read on. You thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. Then the next, two, three, next three words, can you say that really loud with emphasis? I will sing. Okay. You're sort of catching on here, okay? Go ahead and finish off that sentence. Your praises before the gods. Next two words, nice and loud. I bow. Okay, go ahead and finish that off. Before your holy temple as I worship. As what? I worship. Awesome. Then the next, next two words, nice and loud. I praise. Go ahead and finish that off. Your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Go ahead and read. As soon as I pray. Stop right there. What are those last two words? I pray. Okay, did you hear all of that Jerry's reading there? I give. I will sing. I bow. I worship. I praise. I pray. David was expressing this personal time of worship with, with us and him and his God, our God. He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm giving. I'm worshiping. I'm bowing. I'm singing. I'm praying. I'm praising there's a special moment in those I moments. It was an intimate time between David and God. It was just the two of them. David fully expressed that special moment of worship with God. It's a personal time. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Let me ask you this. How is your personal time with God going? How are your moments of one-on-one -on -one with God? Because it's a little hard to gather together to worship God if you haven't been going one-on-one -on -one with God. Worship with God, one-on-one. -on -one. Worship is personal. Go ahead and mic back. Mike, Mike, go ahead and read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Awesome. What's the first, one, first phrase? Let us think. Let us think. It's the, mean, the Greek there it means to consider. I want you to th clearly think about this from top to bottom, to press down. Who, am I, who can I think of? Who can I consider? Now, I really want to think this through. This isn't a light thought. The writer of Hebrews says, I want you to consider. I want you to think through. People in this church, okay, as we gather corporately, worship 
is also corporate, a large group. So when you come into worship, as we come to worship God, because we're here to do what? We're here to love God, right? So as we come here to worship God, we should be doing this. We should be considering, though, who else in here is struggling? Who needs encouragement? Let us consider. Let us uh, think of ways to, what's that next phrase? Think of ways to what? Motivate one another. Motivate one another. In another translation, it means to provoke. Now, we've heard of provoking before throughout the Bible. It can be used in good and bad, of prodding and inciting, sort of getting under somebody's skin, or a way of encouraging people, a way of motivating other people. So let's think this through. You come to church, I come to church, we come to church. Who in here, as you're considering, heavily considering, intentionally thinking of, praying for, needs to be motivated, needs to be encouraged? You know if you're sitting next to somebody, they look like they're having a rotten day. Whether their dog just got ran over, whether they're sick, whether they're hurting, something's happened in their life, and you can just sense it. Think of ways to motivate them, to provoke them, to encourage them. What it says, to acts of what? Acts of love and good works. Love and good work. Can go ahead and finish reading that. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We are to what? But to... Encourage. Thank you. Encourage, sorry. Another translation uh, in the Greek is exhort. And uh, it's a really powerful little word. It's a parakaleo, which basically means this. It's somebody who's walking right alongside of you. Uh, It's a person that's urging you on, beseeching you on, begging you, making some kind of correct decision. They're challenging you to move forward here. Now, in the ancient Greek world, when they used this word a lot lot of times, and oftentimes, it was used with military leaders. As a military leader would gather his troops to get them together, they were going into a battle. Whether they knew that, oh boy, we're outnumbered, this is not going to be good. This could be a really bad situation. So... I'm going to do everything I can to walk alongside my troops and fire them up and sort of put some courage into their hearts. And instead of ignoring the clear-cut dangers of battle, I'm going to walk alongside them and tell them the truth about what they're going to face. This is not going to be easy. This is going to be tough. So stand tall, throw your shoulders back, lift your head up, and let's march forward together. And when you come to church, we are considering one another. We are intentionally thinking about how we can motivate, how we can provoke people towards good things, to love and good works. And then as we gather together, we are encouraging one another. We're walking alongside each other. And look at the mic. We're walking alongside each other, and we're marching with one another, understanding that we walk in a spiritual battle, don't we? We have an enemy that wants to take us out. We know that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's an opponent. You know, sometimes we get all hyped up about sports and competition, but my friends, a lot of things you can learn about sports you can apply to life and understanding spiritually. We have an opponent that wants to take us out. So when we come here together, we are coming here to worship God. As we worship God, we're also encouraging one another. A lot of people say, I can worship on my own. That's true. You probably can, but not the way God intended. God wants his people to come together corporately to worship. So I've got to be here every single Sunday and sign off a little attendance sheet and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we get a little legalistic with things. I understand that. But there's a reason why God puts in his word for us to come together. Because he knows that as we are worshiping him, we've got to take what he's sharing with us and help one another draw closer to him. You follow me on this? We must learn to worship God personally and 
corporately. So determine today, I want you to think about this. Be a real comrade to somebody else in here. What you think right now? Make it your aim to speak words of encouragement to somebody around here today. What do you think could use a word of encouragement? I mean, sometimes it's very easy to slip in the church and slip out and not talk to anybody. Okay? That's not the point. I understand. Some of you, you know, you're like, well, I'm a big introvert. Okay? I, just, I keep to myself. I don't. Okay? Well, then let's, let's break you out of your shell just a little. Okay? Just a little. Just sort of like... Maybe as you're walking out, you do one of these, hey, okay, that's a big step, okay? Just a little head up high, sort of a half eye contact, whatever. Just baby steps, okay? Bill Murray, remember that movie? Baby steps. If you don't, don't worry about it. You didn't miss too much, okay? Here's the next thing. Worship is putting God first. Worship is putting God first. We turn to Exodus chapter 20. I know Deuteronomy 5, 7 is there. We're going to skip that and go to Exodus chapter 20. Second book in the Bible, we've got Genesis and then Exodus. Exodus 20. We can turn there and have another person want to read for me. Oh, don't you all put your hands up at once. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 6. Worship is putting God first. Some of you got nervous. You didn't see Troy's hand go up, and you're thinking he's walking my way. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must now, you must not have any other God but me. Wait, stop. Can you read verse 3 again? Right there, same one. You must not have any other God but me. Okay. You must not take for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or wait, worship wait, them. Wait, stop, stop, stop. Read those first five words again. You must not bow down to, to them. Ah, okay, go ahead. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. Very good. Thank you, Troy. Appreciate that. I want you to think about this. The Israelites... They had just come out of Egypt. As they came out of Egypt, they had been worshiping multitudes of gods. Matter of fact, if you were to look up and, and study this, the ten plagues that Moses uh, brought upon, God brought upon the, those people of Egypt, every one of those plagues basically was against a foreign god. So as you look at the different plagues, well, that was really shooting down one of the other Egyptian gods, okay? So they had all these foreign gods. Now, because each God represented a different aspect of life, it was common to worship this God, that God, any God. So when our Heavenly Father, when the God of Israel, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, came into all these people's lives, guess what? It's just one more addition. Bring them on in. Yeah, sure, just one more God to worship with all the other gods that we worship. So God made it very plain, very clear. Listen, you're going to be my people. You worship me, me alone. No other gods. God says he's a very affectionate, very jealous God. Can't have any other gods. But if they didn't learn that God, who led them out of Egypt, was the only true God, they wouldn't be his people. And no matter how faithfully they kept the other nine commandments, it had to begin with this very first command of the Ten Commandments is what? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, right? It's one God. One God. And what has become God's in our lives today? Let's ask that question. 
If God's supposed to be number one in our life and we shouldn't have all these other gods around us, what other gods are creeping into our lives? You say, well, I don't have any other, like, statues in my house or anything crazy like that. What is occupying your time, taking you away from God? What spends all your money? What uh, takes uh, the priority over one meeting over another or one situation over another? What has become a God in your life? Money, fame, pleasure, sports, work. I mean, you'd sit there and think, well, how does this happen? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that none of us grew up in Sunday school class with little flannel graphs, you know, having little Jesus and then lambs and then, oh, and then we got, let's go to Old Testament and we got Moses, we got Ten Commandments and, and, you know, you're learning all these things and then at some point in time somebody puts up a flannel graph of a football and like, oh yeah, that's the, okay, that's the God of, of United States of America. Uh, that's the God we're going to worship when we get done worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and I don't think they learned that in Sunday school, right? I don't think we're teaching our kids purposely or intentionally to worship other gods. It just happens unintentionally by looking at what we as adults place value upon and what we say is important and what we do. And our children learn that. And then we sort of go off on this little stray little path of next thing you know, we are so far from worshiping God, we've got all these other things that matter first. So let's go back to this. What is worship? Worship is putting God first. From the Old Testament to the children of Israel later in history during turbulent times to the New Testament, we see this to be true. Could I have somebody look up um, Revelation chapter 22? Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 to 9. You know, I'll turn there. Last, we're going from the second book in the beginning to the very last book of the Bible, right before the concordance of maps, okay? Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. I have a volunteer ready to roll for me. I've got at least two more scriptures, so some of you get ready to roll. Greg, why don't you come up? And Dave, why don't you come up and just sit here in the front row? Then we don't have to keep tracking all over. I love this. Can I tell you how many people have Bibles on their phones and how many people have Bibles in scripture? It's all over the place. I love it. Greg, why don't you go ahead and read Revelation chapter 22? Verses 8 to 9. And Dave, why don't you look up Psalm 95. 95, 6 to 7. Go ahead, Greg. Oh, did I turn it on? I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. <clears throat> and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you, and your brothers the prophets as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Worship only God. You know, when Jesus was walking the planet then, and disciples came to him, religious teachers came to him, they said, okay, we're following all the commands, right? You know, sum it up. What is it we really need to do? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship God first. Love God first. That's the greatest command. So we hear that from the beginning, from the Exodus, when Moses was putting out the Ten Commands and God speaking to the people of Israel saying, listen, you're going to be my children? Here's the number one rule. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus says, oh, you want to know what's important? Love God. End times, or not quite the end times, Revelation 22, where John is hearing all these things, seeing this great vision. 
And he sees this vision and his angel appears to him. And what does the angel say, Greg? One more time. Could you read verse 9? Oh, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers the prophets as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Worship only God. I think that's pretty clear. And yet we have all these things that clutter and crowd into our life, pushing, pushing, pushing God right out of the picture. What other gods are creeping in your life? Think about it. What is it again? What is creeping into your life that's pushing God out? We've got to identify that and get rid of it. Here's the next thing what, on your uh, handout. Worship is recognizing the attributes of God. Worship is recognizing the attributes of God. Psalm 95, 6 through 7. We need to understand this uh, before you read that, uh, Dave. We need to know who God is. What are his attributes? What are his characteristics? What is God like? And, and really, as you read through Scripture, don't, don't become too opinionated about Scripture. Take Scripture for what Scripture is. It's God's Word. Sometimes we look at it and say, oh, that just makes me think like God is like this. What did it say God is? It's very clear in time Scripture says God is this. Just leave it at that. Okay? If it helps you have an opinion about Him with you personally, okay, but be careful in sharing that opinion that you don't thwart somebody else's view of what God is saying here, okay? What is God like? Psalm 95, 6 through 7. Could you read that, please? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. If only you would oh, listen good. to His good. voice today. Okay, that's good right there. Go back and read verse 6 again, please. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Okay. He's our what? For he is our God. He's our, our God and our, last word you said there. Our maker. Yep. Our maker. Our creator. Think about this. You didn't come into being on your own. There's an incredible God that created you. Where's creation? How should creation respond to its creator? For those of you who have pets, how do you want your pet to respond to you? Because you're the owner, right? So your pet should respond to you a certain way. Now, I don't want to put it in this relationship with parent-child, but parents, when you raise your children, you expect your children to respond in a certain way, right? God's our creator, our maker. How do we respond to him? Or do we try to call the shots with God? Or have we not realized he's the one calling the shots? God is the one that's above us not vice versa. God's our make our creator. You think about, you know, I love watching uh, ESPN's top 10, amazing feats, all those kind of things. But what about God? Here's a challenge for you sometime. Read through the book of Psalms. It's a beautiful song book, right in the middle of scripture. Read, sing, read. Okay, open up Psalms and look what the Psalms has to say and how David and other psalmists sing about God. Sometimes just write down the words as God has described. Whether it's faithful, whether it's everlasting, almighty creator. Write down those lists and just top ten it. Look at it go, wow, that's God. Worship is recognizing the attributes of God. It's easy in a song as we sing, it's easier to worship God when you realize who he is. Let's go to the next one. Worship should be a regular part of our life. 
Worship should be a regular part of our life. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Why don't you go ahead and turn there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. You guys just want to hold the mic and read for me? Thanks. Luke 4, 16. Dave, go ahead. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boy at home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. As usual. Let me all hear you say that together. One, two, three. As usual. One more time, let me hear it. As usual. You know, as a matter of fact, when we were going through the book of Mark, remember this a few months ago, we were reading through Bar- the book of Mark, and remember all the times, as usual, Jesus went to the synagogue. As usual, Jesus spent time for as usual. As usual. Can that be said of your time with God? Can you, could you sit back and say, oh, yeah, my time with God, as usual. I always do that. Yeah. Yeah, as usual. Can that describe your time setting aside worshiping God? How many of you would skip a meal? Okay. Let me do this. Let me ask you this. How many of you skipped a meal this past week? I mean, unintentionally or intentionally something happened, you're busy, you missed it. How many of you would skip a meal? Okay, quite a few did. Okay, good. Now let me ask you this. How many of you would skip a meal uh, consistently like, oh, I don't know, twice a day for seven days a week? How many of you would do that? Nobody? Maybe? As usual? <laughs> How many of you would skip every meal and completely not eat for a week? Anybody do that? We wouldn't do that physically to ourselves. We wouldn't starve ourselves of something good, right? Let's not starve ourselves of moments with God. Worship should be a regular part of our life. Just like I'm going to eat a meal every day. I might eat three meals a day. I might eat four and snack as well. I don't know. You know, you know your own life, but here's the deal. Whatever you do regular in eating, you're probably not going to miss that. You might on occasion, okay? But you realize, like, man, my stomach's growling. I, mean, I shouldn't have skipped that meal. I'm really hungry. And it gets even more hungry for the next meal, doesn't it? I hope that's what happens when you miss your time with God. You become even hungrier for God, that you want to just dive into more time with God because you skipped that last time. Try not to skip. Try not to miss those moments of worship with God. Make it a regular part of your life. Next one, worshiping God is giving him your best. Worship God is giving him your best. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Greg, why don't you read that one for me? And while you're turning to Matthew, first book in the New Testament, while you're turning there, it's a busy world, right? We rush uh, into one hour of, one, one hour a week of service of worshiping God, right? You think through all the hours in a week, we have one hour we gather on Sunday morning, usually hour 15 or more, right? How, do we, how are we doing in preparing ourselves for that worship time? Was this just a, oh, I have to get in here real quick, I forgot about that, or do we reflect and do we worry about the week's problems coming into church? Uh, do we pray about whatever comes to our minds, or do we intentionally meditate on the words we're singing, or we just, oh, there's words I should be singing, I should be in my mouth right now. God wants our worship to be conducted in a proper and orderly way. I, I believe that. I believe God wants us to be prepared in coming into worship in our hearts and, and just our, our minds. Just as we would meet a business associate or invited guest coming to our house, we prepare. I have a meeting tomorrow at 9 o'clock, so I know I need to have this done all laid out, right? 
I need to prepare as I go in, ready to meet that person. I have somebody coming over this weekend on such, such day, I need to make sure the house is ready, right? We are going to have a time of worship with God. Have you planned? Have you prepared? Are you ready to give the king your best? Or is it, oh, he doesn't mind, he'll just show up to the clutter, right? Matthew 2, 11, can you read that, please? They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you know, I don't care what time of the year it is. I love when we read that verse. It's, it's, you know, we always read this verse around Christmas time, but I love it that the wise men, these, these, these princes, these, these, these men of intellect and stature come riding in with the treasure chest, which you keep your best, your finest, and they opened them up and presented them to the baby king, Jesus. Their best. Jesus hadn't even done anything yet in their lives yet, and they are presenting their best. Are we giving our best? Are we opening up our hearts, our treasures, and giving him our best? That's what worship is. And the last one is worship is expressed in multiple ways. Worship is expressed in multiple ways. Let's not make worship a debate. Oh, we're going to do the traditional, we're going to do the contemporary, we're going to do hymns, we're going to do the latest song, you know, we're going to listen to this radio station, that's it. you know, we're going to read this. Let's not debate over it. Remember the woman at the well, Jesus? Well, some people say you should worship on that mountain. Some people should worship on this mountain, which, you know, she's doing a good job of trying to avert Jesus from the subject here, okay? Let's not make it a debate. Worship is expressed in various ways, in multiple ways. Whether it's the type of music, the length, various things, so be it. Do not make it a debate. Revelation chapter 4. Let's turn there. Let's close on this. As I said, there's so much, so much. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come forward? There's so much that can be said about worship. We're only scratching the surface. But I do know this. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with my family is only going to be as, as good as I make it. They will love me regardless of what I do. And I'm thankful for the grace of my family and, and my friends that love me and in spite of my lack of maybe reaching out to them. Okay? But we have a God who loves us and His grace is incredible. And He loves me regardless of how much I reach out to Him. But I do know this, God asks this of us as his children to worship him. Personally and corporately together. You know, that, that handout I gave you, I hope that gives you some idea, but I would challenge you, go through the scriptures, read through what worship is about. Look at those who did worship. But here's probably the best thing I can say is, you want to learn more about worship, this is what you do. Go do it. Worship him. Worship Him. Would you please all stand as I read? As we close this service, we'll read in Scripture and sing together. And let's make this a time of worship. As I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here. I'll show you what must happen after these things. Instantly, I was in the Spirit. I saw a throne in heaven, someone sitting on it. 
And the one sitting on a throne was as brilliant as gemstones, jasper, and carnelian. The glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him. Twenty-four elders sat on them. And they were all clothed in white. They had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven lampstands with burning flames. They are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beasts, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings had the form of a lion. The second looked like an ox, and the third had a human face. The fourth had the form of an eagle with wings spread out as though in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and, and their wings were covered with eyes inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who is, was, and is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created everything, and it's for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Heavenly Father, thank you for this vision that you gave John of your throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They, they cried that out time and time again in worship to you. Because there's nobody like you, nobody holy like you. Nobody can touch it. Thank you, God, that you are the only God set apart on a throne. Lord, may we worship you as these living beings worshiped you. As the 24 who sat on thrones bowed down and took their crowns and gave to you and worshiped you, may we do the same. Until the day when we enter your presence, Lord, let us worship you here. Your kingdom is here now too. Lord, may we draw close to you and worship you now as we sing to you.